Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Almighty God, you who know all things and have set the universe in motion, grant us your wisdom that as we search for answers to your questions, we would discover your truth for our lives. We long for your wisdom that leads not to power or fortune, but the wisdom that leads to faith and love. Give us the confidence to see your will in the midst of mystery. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today's verse is from Revelations chapter, chapter 5, verse 13 from the Common English Bible. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one who is seated at the throne, to the one, to the Lamb that be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So do you know that uh, game Jenga? The one with all the blocks, excuse me. The one with all the blocks? How many of you are familiar with this game? Anyone? A few of you? All right, it's difficult to set up as you might imagine. It's already falling apart on me. It's okay. It's what happens when we do things that are complicated. So I went to seminary. Okay, good. It's done. It's good. Okay. So this game is uh, you stack up the blocks, right? And you build the tower taller and taller. And each block you remove complicates the problem or the puzzle that you're working on. And well, the question today, do animals go to heaven, is a lot like Jenga in some ways. It's trickier than it first appears because it begs a bunch of other questions. The further you pursue the question, the more you realize it is dependent to answers of previous questions. Like each row is dependent on the row above it. So the question, to be specific, falls firmly in the theological realm of eschatology or stuff like heaven, hell, and resurrection and stuff like that. And I know it's super thrilling, fancy word, but it doesn't really matter. But to put it simply, we could ask the question like this, what is heaven like? Are there people, animals, trees, buildings? Is there beer and pizza or milk and cookies? I'm not entirely sure. So what is heaven like? Do animals, our pets, when they die, do they go to heaven? This question is based on the answer to a number of other questions that must precede it. For example, what is heaven, you might ask? Well, heaven is a shorthand reference to our view of the afterlife. It is the fullness of God's kingdom where everything is redeemed. Well, how does one get into heaven? Good question. It's a tricky one. Our understanding of this is based on scripture. One has to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for this. Christ is how one gets into heaven. I think that's a pretty good answer, right? Christ is how one gets into heaven. Leave the details up to God. But who is heaven for? Heaven is for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Can animals put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Um, I don't know. <laughs> well, let's pray. <laughs> but there it is. It's our Jenga tower of questions leading up to our question, precariously perched on the answers to the previous questions. Do animals go to heaven? I should share that this isn't the first time I've wrestled with this question. I've lost a number of pets along the way, as I'm sure you have. 
two to six goldfish, I can't quite remember, <laughs> a few hamsters, again, numbers are fuzzy on those sort of creatures, four dogs, Diamond, Christina Brewster, and Boomy, three miniature schnauzers and our beloved Great Dane mix, and one box turtle, his name was Felix, he refused to eat boiled eggs. So, I can say that I have thought about this question, and for the longest time my answer was, eh, probably not. <laughs> but the more and more that I've thought about this answer, uh, my answer has slowly shifted. I do believe that there will be animals in heaven, and to me it makes logical sense. In fact, I have trouble imagining a heaven without animals at this point in my faith journey. Now, this is not just wishful thinking on my part, so I need to make a few disclaimers up front. First, the Bible is silent on the issue. There's no chapter and verse I can point you to that says, Fluffy shall inherit the kingdom of God. It's not there, I'm sorry. Second, the Bible does talk a lot about animals. And the Bible has a lot to say about creation and God's kingdom. So I believe we need to take a closer look at this question and draw some logical conclusions. So if you'll grant me the time and you're willing to reset the Jenga tower, so to speak, I think we can draw some conclusions about heaven and hell and what we might find just on the other side of this reality. So we're told in the beginning that God creates the cosmos, the heavens and the earth. The sun, the moon, the stars are all exhibits of God's handiwork. And God doesn't stop there. God creates the water and puts redfish and sand dollars and kelp and squid and seahorses and whales in the water. And God creates the earth and puts horses and lizards and live oaks and dogs and ants and elephants on the earth. And God creates the sky and puts nightingales and grackles and clouds and painted buntings and the great blue heron in the sky. God creates humans and places them in the garden. It's a proverbial garden, but it should be, remind us that God created all things and we are placed in the midst of God's creation. And God calls the whole of creation, you might know this, he calls the whole of creation very good. An interesting theological side note here is that the first thing humanity is tasked with is naming the animals. God doesn't name the animals, we do. It is our task. And again, just as a side note here, it was C.S. Lewis that said, Humanity was appointed by God to have dominion over the beasts, and everything a human does to an animal is either a lawful exercise, or a sacrilegious abuse, or an authority by divine right. Perhaps we should tread carefully and charitably when discussing animals. Just a side note. So where was I? Creation. Creation. God is a creator God. God is a sustaining God, and all of creation is deemed very good. And this really raises the question, going back to our Jenga tower, if God is a sustaining God, how exactly does God sustain this creation? God sustains this creation by the forces and laws of natural sciences. God is the inventor of biology. God invented chemistry, strong force, weak force, Electromagnetism, dark matter, quarks, thermodynamics, the four forces of nature, 12 particles of matter. God invented it all. Think of it this way. When we think about what the afterlife might be like and what heaven might be like, it might be appropriate to focus on how things were in the garden when we were in perfect union with God. Maybe we'll hear chimes and birds in heaven. 
We were told it was very good. It was perfect. God walked with humanity and we enjoyed perfect relationship with God. If we were to get specific and complicated about the matter, as we are doing today, there's plenty of biblical evidence to support that we also had a perfect relationship with the natural forces of the world. The natural forces of the world are things like electromagnetism and gravity. Those natural forces existed during our time in the garden. The Bible doesn't read, it was very good, except for those things of nature like gravity. It doesn't read that. It says it was very good, full stop, all of it. It was all good. All of God's creation was very good. Which raises the question in our Jenga tower. What does a perfect relationship with the natural forces look like? I know, I know, I know, I know. You thought we were talking about animals, not forces of nature, but I promise we're gonna get there. So what does a perfect relationship with gravity look like? When humanity tripped over a root in the garden and fell, did they scrape their knee? Without gravity, they would have been jettisoned off the face of the earth. Gravity has to exist in the garden because it is foundational for life as we know it. And God is the creator of all life. So logically speaking, we must assume gravity existed in the garden at the beginning of life because God is the creator and sustainer of life. Now, why does God create gravity? Apparently, gravity is necessary for life. So let me put it another way. No gravity, no ocean. Water can't condensate and condense, and without gravity, oceans can't form. So speaking logically, it would follow no oceans, no ocean life, no oceans, no ocean life. No life in the oceans, no life on Earth. No life on Earth, no animals. Animals, therefore, are dependent on the forces of nature, the sustaining forces that God has invented that are necessary for life. So let's travel back to the top of our Jenga tower. Do animals go to heaven? Which is really asking the question, what is heaven like? What is heaven like? <coughs> to best answer that question, we should probably seek the wisdom of Jesus. <laughs> what is heaven like? Luckily for us, Jesus talked about heaven a lot. In fact, it is the most frequently talked about topic from Jesus' mouth, the kingdom of God. The easiest way for people to understand what the kingdom of God was like was for Jesus to preach and teach in parables. Some of these will be familiar to you. The kingdom of God is like a man who sowed seed, some grew and some didn't. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It grows into the largest tree where birds find rest. The kingdom of God is like a shepherd who goes out and brings in the lost sheep. The kingdom of God is like a fig tree bearing fruit in time. Over and over again, we see Jesus refer to natural processes and creation and plants and animals to help people identify and see and understand what heaven will be like. Maybe Jesus refers to these processes because one, people are familiar with them, and two, it is an affirmation that these things are actually good things. It's an affirmation that God made these things and they help us see in a way God and God's kingdom. Fast forward to the book of Revelation. Yes, the last book of the Bible, and animal imagery abounds. The lion, the lion laying down with the lamb, all the animals bowing down and worshiping God. Rewind to the manger scene, the birth of Christ. Jesus is surrounded at his birth by animals. He's visited by shepherds who would have had to herd their flocks to come and see the Christ child. Rewind to the flood scene. God chooses to save the animals alongside the righteous family of Noah. Rewind to the, to the creation scene, and God creates all the animals. At the beginning of creation, to the flooding of the known world, 
to the advent of Christ, God with us, and in visions of the throne room of God's kingdom, animals are ever present in the narrative. To me, it makes logical sense that God wouldn't scrap everything and start over with brand new laws of nature and brand new animals and brand new beings. God is in the business of redeeming all things, of bringing all things back to God's self, of restoring, reclaiming, redeeming. God is redeeming us, is he not? God is walking with us, journeying with us, loving us, coaxing us back to him. I don't believe it's a far stretch to claim that God is redeeming all of creation. That all of creation will be redeemed by God. That all of creation, which proclaims the majesty of God's name, will one day be brought back into full and perfect union with God. God is in the business of redeeming all that God has made. Why should grass be exempt from God's redemption? Why should a flower be exempt from God's redemption? Why should gravity be exempt from God's redemption? And why should animals be exempt from God's redemption? God's redemption is far-reaching, far-stretching, and consistently applied to all things because God's redemption is indiscriminate in the best sense of the word. When I picture heaven, when I think about God's fulfilled, redeemed, and fully realized kingdom, I picture us. I picture creation as God intended because when God created it was very good. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, a few characters are given the opportunity to take a tour of heaven. They get on the bus and they go. The main character steps off the bus and gives us a little picture of what heaven might be like. It reads, For a moment there was silence under the cedar trees, and then pad, 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 it was broken. Two velvet-footed lions came bouncing into the open space, their eyes fixed upon each other, and started playing some solemn romp. Their manes looked as if they had been just dipped in the river, whose noise I could hear close at hand, though the trees hid it. I can tell you that after I read that book, and I began to think more seriously about God's created world, our divine commandment to steward all of creation, I began to believe that God has a soft spot for creation. I believe that in the time to come, we will experience each other more fully. That in the time to come, we will experience creation more fully. In the time to come, we will experience God more fully. So are there animals in heaven? I don't see why there shouldn't be. For every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them sings to the glory of the one who created all things, blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.